Well, we're going to get right in here. I will be in Hebrews 12. This is um, our last message from the series in Hebrews 12. Um, it's actually a part two of, of last week. But I didn't do like a cliffhanger, so you didn't have to hear last week to hear this week. So it's kind of a, but it's kind of the part two of the season finale, if you're uh, so inclined to think in that way. But uh, we're going to be finishing up this series today. Um, where we have been in this series, Hebrews chapter 12, it's, it's one of those chapters that is so rich. Paul had a lot to say in this passage, and uh, we've been looking at his heart's cry for us and ultimately the heart cry of God for us to run the race that is set before us, to run it with endurance, run well, finish well, and that uh, we do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We have been looking at different themes that have come out of that, uh, to cast aside away sin, um, and to ultimately, again, to keep our eyes on Jesus. His heart's desire for us is to finish well. How many want to finish well? You want to get to the end of the race and have as little regret as possible. Well, I'm here to tell you, because of the grace and mercy of God, he can redeem you today. His mercies are new every morning. He can redeem you today to the point where even where you felt like that you maybe started bad or you had some horrible years in the middle there and maybe some things happened in your life that you just look back and you have a lot of shame and pain and regret. God can redeem today what you feel like you've wasted. And he can take your life young or old, and he can do amazing, awesome things with your life. And it, we just simply surrender to him and walk with him. And I want to finish well, and I want that for you as well. But, so today we're going to conclude, and we're going to look at the, uh, the final key and thought from Hebrews 12 on, on running well and finishing well, and that is holding on to the unshakable. We, we, we touched in on this last week, but holding on to the unshakable is the title of the message, kind of a part two. And so we're going to go to Hebrews 12, verses 25 through 29. I'm going to read those, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about that for a moment. Verse 25, be careful. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. That's so key and so important that we listen to God when he is speaking to us. We obey what he is telling us to do. Do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation, and that word all of creation is temporary earthly things, will be shaken and removed so that only that which is unshakable will remain, or unshakable, the, un, the unshakable thing will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. We are receiving a kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And what he is saying is so important. He's talking about times of shaking. There is kind of a two-sided coin to his message here. He is referring to end times shakings, and we can look at uh, prophetic passages, and we can understand that God is speaking about there is a time that's going to come at the end of the age where there's going to be massive shakings on the earth. Jesus told us about that in Matthew 24, that the things in the end, there, there's going to be shaking. Sometimes it's going to be literal shaking of the earth. But all that can be shaken will be shaken until that which cannot be shaken will remain. And so we, we have all these warnings, these prophetic words in the Word of God. But there also is personal shakings that God will do in our lives, and we endure them because ultimately he is wanting us personally to hold on to that which cannot be shaken. And we just prayed about that. Doug had that word about the, the yoke and, and the things that we go through, the things that we endure, the things that we face in our lives. We endure some shakings. Jesus promised that on this earth, in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world, so we will have shakings that we go through. We will continue to go through 
Paul here writing, again, some people debate whether who wrote this. I think Paul did it, so that's why you'll hear me say Paul. But Paul is quoting the words um, of God to the prophet Haggai. Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And he goes on to say the once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. In other words, everything that is temporary, created things of the earth, will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And so the question, I asked this question last week as we kind of launch into this week. The question is this that comes out of this passage to our hearts as a challenge that God wants us to run well and finish well is what are you hanging on to? What are you holding on to? When your world starts shaking, when you're going through things, what do you run to? What do you grab hold of? If it's earthly, if it's temporary, it's going to shake and it's going to kind of fall apart around you. And that's by God's mercy because he wants to be the only thing standing right in front of you because he created us to need him. We talked last week, you know, the parable of Jesus that we're all familiar with. He says the, the wise builder and the foolish builder, the wise builder builds his house up on the rock. One of the names of the Lord is the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And he says these two builders, the wise one builds his house upon the rock, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The other one builds it on shifting sand, that which can be shaken. The storms come. Notice the storms come to both. Just because we build our house on the rock does not mean that we are exempt from storms. The storms will come. But those who are firmly planted, those who have their lives built on the Lord Jesus, that which cannot be shaken will endure through the storms. And that is Paul's Hearts cry to us in this passage of when it's shaking, go to the rock, run to the rock of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to look at three areas of shaking that will affect us. These kind of cross over into every part of our lives. Because he says everything created, everything of, of, of the temporary world will be shaken. Number one is this, our systems will be shaken. Our systems, if you're taking note, our systems will be shaken. The systems in which we put our hope and our trust in that are of the earth will be shaken. This, go, this is political systems. Do you guys know that politics and the government, that is not our answer? Does everybody know that? But don't we treat it like it is sometimes? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a part of our, of our process. I think that we have an obligation before the Lord to be a part of the process. But when we put that hope in that system, as the answer for our lives, we have mistakenly put our hope in the wrong thing. Because political systems will shake. They're already shaking. It is a mess. And if you haven't watched the news, it's a mess. I mean, all the sides, all the different things that they're talking about. And, and, and we want to, people want so bad to gravitate towards something that will give us some hope. Something that will make sense to us. And so we want them to tell us what we want to hear and it makes us feel good. But they are not our answer. The Republican Party is not the answer for the church. Can I get a witness in this place? Come on now. Come on. People are like, it isn't? What? You know, <laughs> I thought it was. We need to pray for godly leaders that fear the Lord and not fear man. We do need to pray. We need to be a part of the process. But that is not our answer. Both sides are in a wreck. You notice when Jesus came on the earth, if you read the Gospels, he did not come with a political agenda. The Pharisees, they were looking for a Messiah that would do that, to take over, to come with this political agenda, but he didn't. He came with the kingdom agenda, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his Father. He said, this is the agenda that I have. It's the kingdom of God. It's an unshakable, it's a permanent kingdom. It is not a kingdom built on political structures. He didn't come with a political agenda. Our traditional systems will be shaken. Those systems that we put our hope and trust in. Jesus tore down the Pharisees' traditions and that made them so angry. He didn't come like them. The Pharisees, they just had their mindset of what the Messiah should look like. You know, when they, you know what they thought? Ultimately, why they rejected Christ, they thought the Messiah should look like them. 
And we kind of create this mindset of, of the Messiah is going to endorse me. And we conform him to our image. And that's what the Pharisees did. They had the law memorized. They had all the prophets. They knew all of the stuff. They knew the, the prophecies of the Messiah. But what they wanted was for him to come and look like them. Just take up their agenda and begin to rule. And Jesus came in an opposite spirit and he broke down their traditions. I want you to turn to Matthew 21. It's Palm Sunday. And so... We should probably talk about that a little bit. This is fascinating as you think about the traditional systems. And, you know, we celebrate this Sunday. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the day that Jesus rode in, you know, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, at the beginning of Matthew 21, I'm not going to, because I'm not going to read the very beginning, but he sends his disciples and says, you know, go ahead with me, or go ahead of me, and, and you're going to find this cult that's going, you're going to untie it, bring it. If they ask them, the master needs it, it's all, that's always funny, and they go, oh, okay, go ahead, you know, the master, or you let him have it. And so he gets on this donkey, and he begins to ride into Jerusalem, and people begin to wave palm branches, they're laying, you know, their, clo their clothes and stuff, or outer clothes, and probably not all their clothes, that would be a little awkward, but uh, the outer you know, garments and laying for him to ride through. Interestingly enough, on a side note, the day that he rode into Jerusalem was the day that they would bring the sacrificial lambs for, for sacrifice into Jerusalem. I don't think that's by accident, because here comes the Lamb of God, the once and for all Lamb. But I want you to hear kind of what's all going on during this time. You know, we celebrate it and we see the pictures of him riding in and the people shouting, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I want you to catch the heartbeat of what is going on, the, the, the stirring, all of the things that are happening kind of all at once. So we're going to start in uh, verse, let's go verse 6. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt and to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, praise God basically for the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest of heavens. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Because you got to realize this is a week before his crucifixion, so there was, there was a lot of chaos going on. And they asked this question, verse 10, who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So he comes in immediately, listen to this. It goes to verse 12. Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare that my temple shall be called, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The lot's going on. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They were angry. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you not read in the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Do you hear all that, all the stuff that is happening? First of all, you have, and, and, you know, and, and in the mindset that he's going to shake traditional systems, he's writing in, and the crowds who kind of followed him a lot, and you know, they're, they're pressing in on, especially when he was doing miracles and he was doing different things, here they are, they are shouting, you know, praise God, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, among this crowd is the same ones a week later that would be yelling, crucify him. You ever thought about that? And I've just, I just read that, and it just stuck me in the heart of how can you go from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, because it says that the crowds, they begin to stir the crowds up when he was standing there. He had been beaten, and they're yelling out crucify, and I, and I was beginning to meditate on why, how, how do you change in a week? It's because I believe, just like the disciples, when, when, remember when they came to arrest him and the disciples, they fled. They ran the other direction. And Jesus said, you know, they're going to strike the shepherd and the, and the, uh, the sheep are going to scatter. 
because they had a plan for his life. That's when Peter, when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, and Peter says, no, you're not. You know, he, he kind of pulls Jesus off to the side. It's not a good idea, by the way, to rebuke Jesus. You're not going to die, and Jesus rebukes him back. Because he's saying what Peter was saying, and you can almost hear the fear in his voice of saying, it doesn't work for, me to, for you to die. I thought you were going to take over. I thought you were going to come with this big, huge, political, traditional system and take over, and we were going to be right by your side as the 12 apostles who were going to help take over. And Jesus said, no, I came to die and to give my life because I have, my kingdom is not of this world. And you can almost hear Peter, that's why he said, you're not going to die. He says, this doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for us that you're going to die. See, the people had pegged Jesus. They, they were trying to conform him to their image. We want you to be like us. They were this, it's kind of the same spirit as the Pharisees. We want you to be like us. And then when they saw him start enduring things and he's standing before Pilate, he had been beaten basically beyond recognition. That's when they yell out, crucify him, because now it doesn't work. Oh, he's going to die. This is not working out how I thought. He's doing things completely different than I thought. Get rid of him. Crucify him. doesn't work for me. If he's just going to die, crucify him. He doesn't work within our tradition. He doesn't work... I thought he was going to take over, that we would, you know, because that, they were hoping, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were hoping that he would come in, especially when he began to turn over the tables. They're going, yes, here we go. He's going to, he's going to take over. A week later, he lays his life down. We must stop conforming Jesus Christ to us and conform ourselves to Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's calling the shots The church is not a democracy. It is a kingdom ruled by the king of the ages. And so he comes into the temple and he begins to turn the tables over. A lot of people say, well, why was he doing that? It was not uncommon for people to come into the temple and, and pay for sacrifice. But what happens is you can see there, the wordage there is, is that he turned over the table where they were, they were selling the doves. The dove was the least amount. Like if you were very poor and you could only afford very little, you would, you would sacrifice doves. And so something happened. This was a worship issue. Worship is synonymous in the Old Testament with sacrifice. When we say I come to worship, it is not coming and singing songs and raising our hands. That's not worship. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is laying our lives down. That's what worship is. That's why worship begins at home. What we do here is a celebration of our worship. But worship is synonymous with sacrifice. They had cheapened the sacrifice. The sacrifice had become that it doesn't, how, how, how can I do this with it costing me as little as possible? Because I want, I want to bring my sacrifice, and you know, they were trying to get their sins forgiven, and they would go in, and how, what is the, how can I do this that it costs me the least? And a lot of times we treat the Lord, how can I serve you? How can I walk with you? But I don't want it costing me much. I don't want to have to make a lot of sacrifice. I just, I want to serve you kind of, you know, and, and if it's okay, I'll, I'll just come on Sunday morning, and I'll just kind of do my, you know, religious kind of things, but I just don't want it to cost me very much. And so he's turning that, that, that tradition, that system upside down because he wants all of us. We were created. We all worship. It's a part of who we are. We give our hearts. We give our value to something. And then you have him coming in, the, and, and you see the broken coming to him. He's in the temple. He turns the tables over. It says the broken, the, the, the blind, the lame. They're walking up to him, and he's beginning to heal them. All oh, There's tons of stuff going on here. And so you see when he starts tearing down religious traditions, notice who shows up, the broken. The hurting, because they were drawn to him. And he starts tearing down this whole mindset of, of tradition, of, of, of religion. And the broken people start walking up to him. And when we remove religion, a spirit of religion and traditions from our church, the broken will come in. 
because they were going to be drawn to the authentic power of Jesus Christ. Then you have children begin to worship him. Isn't that awesome? You get rid of religion, you get rid of traditions, the broken come, and the children begin to worship. I don't know about you guys, but I want a generation of young people in this place worshiping God, giving their hearts to the Lord Jesus. We are seeing a generation leave our churches, and they leave, and they get eaten alive, and they, 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 they don't know what they believe, and they're, they're struggling. And we want them to go out from this place loving God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. We want to make a place where children can be free to worship the Lord, the next generation coming up. And that's who we, we, we're going to reach to. And now all these kids are beginning to worship. And here's what the religious spirit says. They're telling Jesus, you hear what those kids are saying? They're mad. They were mad that he's ministering to people. I mean, and you see these guys, that religious system, he would heal people and they'd be angry because he would do it on the Sabbath. So where did your mind have to be when you're angry that people are being touched by God? Children are singing worship songs, and, he, and, and the religious says, did you hear what those kids are saying? And you can almost feel the heartbreak of Jesus. You know, he said, do you not know what the Scripture says? That I've ordained children to give me praise. Because it made them angry that kids are worshiping. We've got to check our heart because our traditional systems need to be shaken. Religious systems will be shaken. What do I mean by that? And again, it's, you see it in the Pharisees where Jesus went hardcore at them. He was angry. You saw him treat the, the broken and the destitute with great kindness and care. To the religious, he did not at all. He was very hard on them. Because what they had done is they had elevated their religious traditions. They had elevated their unbiblical formulas. And they had made it doctrine. And whenever we do that and we have these unbiblical formulas that we have made doctrine, that is a, that is a very dangerous religious spirit that we made. If I, if I go through this hoop, that hoop, that hoop, then God is obligated to do this for me. If you do it like this, God will do this. If you sing that song, God will do this. That is absolutely wrong. It's all about our hearts so religious systems, Jesus shook to the core. Economic systems, he's shaking. We're seeing that, again, playing out right in front of our very eyes. Not just our nation, but all over the world. We are, our, our, the economy is in a fragile state. They're, everybody's talking about it. And then this is not just preachers talking about this, like prophecy people that, you know, they were talking about it a long time ago. These, this is mainstream news, and you have people that are, are tapped into the, the state of the economy worldwide, and they are saying the same things. We're in a, it's very fragile. But also we can have personal financial shaking. You lose a job. Emergency happens, and you have to have a bunch of money all at once. And these things will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. The whole, the, the, the kind of the theme of Hebrews and talking about these systems is Jesus talking about the new and better way. He's talking about he becomes our high priest, that his sacrifice was once and for all. And, and, and you kind of if you grab the Hebrews theme, it's the new and the better way, the new covenant that Jesus provides. He did not come to make us more religious. Amen to that. I'll amen myself if you guys don't amen me, so I, I don't mind doing that either. He didn't come to make us more religious. He came to transform our lives to make us more like him. Not to be more traditional. Systems will be shaken, but having our lives built on Jesus Christ will remain stable. What systems have you put your faith in? Listen to what Paul says, Philippians 3, 7 through 8. This actually was a, one of the songs, too. But he says this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you hear the value? 
Everything is lost to, know, to have the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul knew what it was like to lose everything. But he said, you know what? If I have Jesus, that's enough. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. The system that will last forever is the eternal system of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It is the unshakable kingdom of God. You want a stable system, follow Jesus Christ. Receive the kingdom of God into your heart. Number two is our relationships will be shaken. Our relationships will be shaken. In context, these people were heavily, heavily persecuted for accepting Christ. This letter, this, this letter to the Jews in that area, you know, to the Hebrews in that area, it was a circulating letter that was going about the believers, the ones that had received Christ as the Messiah. Well, you could see, I mean, it's kind of today not that popular, but you could see even in a magnified way how unpopular it was back then. These are the people that had, you know, received, you know, just kind of, they had grown up with the law. The Pharisees were their teachers. And then the Pharisees and the religious spirit had rejected Christ. He is not the Messiah. So now you have some of these folks, these Jewish folks, beginning to put their faith in Christ. And they begin to say, you know, whatever I had gained, I counted all as loss. It's garbage for knowing Jesus Christ. Paul was one of them. Paul was a Pharisee. And so these people are getting saved. They're giving their lives to Christ. And there was great joy, but there was great persecution. The same people that they used to worship together with were now the ones that were turning on them. The same people that maybe sat in the temple with them, next to them, were now persecuting them for following Jesus Christ. So our relationships will be shaken. Jesus had his closest companions turn against him. He had Judas betray him. He had his, the ones that didn't betray him like that, they scattered, you know, I will strike the sheep and the, or strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And they scattered and they, and they abandoned him in his greatest time of need. Paul had people close to him turn on him. In some of the letters in the, in the Bible that Paul writes, he calls them out, which is kind of wild. And these people used to walk. He said, one he says, Alexander the coppersmith. If you've ever read that, he said, Alexander the coppersmith, he has rejected our message and he's doing great damage to us. Beware of him. He's calling people out by name. And so there's people that were close to Paul that turned on him and he understood what it meant to be betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been hurt? Someone turned on you. Someone said something about you that was very painful. You maybe thought that this could not happen from that source, that person. This is the last person in the world you'd ever think that would happen. But the thing is, as good as earthly relationships can be, they are imperfect. Because they are with imperfect people. That's why divorce is so high, neglect. We, we, people have been used in relationships, and, and the list goes on, and we can talk about those painful things that have happened in relationships, and you know, we all have experienced a level of that, some to a greater degree than others, but we understand that earthly relationships are broken. Now, I'm not telling you now to go out and be suspicious of other people. We, I love earthly relationships. God has given those to us. We need to give grace. But we cannot put our eternal hope and our eternal trust and our eternal faith in earthly relationships. Notice I said eternal. Because there is, a, there is an element of these things. We have to have hope in relationship. We have to have trust. That's a, the, the, the very, very signal that a relationship is doing well is that you have trust in that relationship. But we can't put our eternal hope and trust in those things. But I'm talking about when we, when we have an unhealthy hope in a person and that we put them in the place that Christ wants to be. And he must be. And we elevate that person. When you elevate a person to that place in your life, when they let you down, it is devastating. Because you've put them in, in that place where Christ wants to be in our hearts. 
Let me tell you, we're going to get hurt. We're going to get offended. If you've lived long enough, you've gone through it already. If you haven't, buckle up. It's going to happen. We're going to get hurt. But that's why earlier, before this passage in Hebrews 12, he says this, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Paul says this in another place. He says, as far as it's concerned with you, be at peace with all men. You can't worry about other people. You hear what Paul's saying? Some people, it's conditional. Well, I'll be at peace with you if you'll say you're sorry. No, it says as far as it's concerned with you, you live at peace with them. Whether they, whether they respond to you or not, be at peace with them. Again, one of the, the main secrets of this passage is being right with God and right with others. Live at peace with all people and be holy. Don't let a bitter root grow in you. It will destroy you. That is why forgiveness is absolutely huge. You know, forgiveness releases you and it releases the other person. If you refuse to forgive, what you are doing is you are putting yourself in bondage. I mean, anybody will tell you that. That's in secular psychology. Unforgiveness will cause you great pain. It releases you, it releases them, it frees them. But then in the spiritual side, Jesus said, you must forgive those who've hurt you. Because look what what he did for us. Look at the great forgiveness that he offers us. And we see his love on the cross where he took our sins upon himself. We deserve that, and he took it. Let go of grudges. Let go of bitterness. Let go of anger. Because again, running the race well and finishing well, we don't have time for that. When, that, when you feel that bitter root, you just, I don't have time for this. I'm letting that go. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to walk free because I don't have time in my life to be worried about all of this other stuff, bitterness and anger and what somebody did to me. We have to be free from that stuff because we don't have time. We have a mission ahead of us. And I encourage you too, because what he's saying is, is we want to finish well. Don't stand before Jesus Christ on that day because we will. Again, that's a sobering thought, but we need to understand that we're going to stand before Jesus. When we die from this earth, that is not the end. You will live. And you will be more alive than you are now, but you will stand before God, and I will stand before God. And we will give an account. It's going to happen. And I want to stand before him and not have a bunch of undealt issues that I should have dealt with on the earth. And that's why he gives us grace so that we can deal with it now. But how, how horrible it would be to stand before him and have a lot of these undealt, unforgiving, grudging issues that we're dealing with. I don't want to do it then. I want to do it now. And ultimately, why relationships will, 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 he'll allow shaking in relationship is that Jesus is the relationship that will never shake. His love is everlasting and it's pure. The Bible, the Bible says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave us nor forsake us. This is more than just scriptures on your refrigerator. This is truth. In his presence, we can be secure even when there are shakings in our relationships. Jesus even said that there will be times, and he's talking about persecution. He said, brother will turn against brother. You know, father against son for my name's sake. His relationship is one that will never end because we were created to need him. We were created to love him. We were created to receive his love. We were not created for religion, but a relationship with Jesus. And when we hold on to him, it'll be the relationship that can never be shaken. I ask this question, is your your hope tied to an earthly relationship? Are you looking to someone to fill that place that only Christ can? Young person, are you looking to, well, I just have to have a relationship. And you're looking to something, to someone to fill a place that only Jesus wants to fill in your life. Married person, do you look at your spouse? 
and you hold them into a place where only God can fill because that's too much pressure for them. Christ wants to be the number one person in your life. Has someone hurt you? Has someone betrayed you and you haven't forgiven them? You need to, you need to get that right before the Lord today. Lastly, I'm going to talk about our hopes. Our hopes will be shaken. All these are tied together where we put our hope, what we, what we hang on to, but our hopes will be shaken. What is your hope in today? Does your hope rise and fall with your circumstances? You know, you ask people how they're doing, and you can kind of get a gauge sometimes when you're, when you're talking to them, and life's good, you know, everything's good, paying the bills, working, you know, eating three meals a day, and it's kind of like circumstantial hope. Then you say, you know, how you doing? Not very good, and just lost my job, got laid off, trying to pay the bills, don't have enough money. And you just hear circumstantial hope. It's not just the world. It can happen to us. That sometimes our hope rises and falls with circumstances. Life is good. Hope is good. Life is bad. Hope is bad. And we just kind of go in and out of, 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 of hope based on our circumstances. Is your hope built on getting the answer that you want or you think you should have? If so, you will be shaken. And again, this ties in with the other, you know, our hope, is it, is it in money? Is it in having enough money? Can't be. I know, I know rich people that are miserable. Is it in having health? I know healthy people that are miserable, and I know sick people that are joyful. Is it in religion? We talked about that. Is it in a relationship? Where is your hope at? David says in Psalm 42, he said, he's he's kind of preaching to himself, and he went through a lot. Why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, which begs the question, what is your hope tied to? Because if it's in the wrong thing, your heart will grow sick. And again, we've all had our hopes shaken. We've had financial issues, some of us, healing, where, where, where we need healing and we're not seeing the healing. We prayed for healing. We've asked for healing. A lost loved one that, that we've prayed for and that, that you want them to come to know Christ and it just seems like nothing is getting through to them. And you pray and you pray. Or un- unanswered prayers that you're just grieving over and you think, when's it going to happen? What is your hope in? Before I went in the Air Force, I, uh, I was just on a, on a job search like no other. I was, I, I, would work, I was working in the different factories, and uh, one place was a good job, but then they had layoffs, and, and, you know, and you're just kind of doing that whole thing. And I was just, we were praying. We were young, married, and uh, Athena was pregnant with Taylor. And, and, I mean, it was a hard season of life. I got laid off, and, 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 uh, and, and we were ba- making very, very little money. I was helping a guy install carpet when I could get, you know, jobs. And it was just, it was very, very tough. And I remember a friend of mine, um, because the big, the, 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 one of the greatest places to work in our hometown was M&M Mars, the M&M plant. It smelled like chocolate. My mom and dad used to live down the street from that. You could come out in the morning and smell chocolate. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> I mean, it was, really was. I mean, it was just you, the smell of chocolate in the air. You thought, you know, is Willy Wonka around somewhere or something? And this was a great place to work. Everybody that worked there loved to work there. Great pay, great benefits. You could, you know, they had all kinds of incentives to work there, and, but very, very hard to get hired on there. And I had a friend that worked there, and he said, they're getting ready to, there's a little small window opening. They have like a couple of, of, of openings, and he said, go do your application. Put me down as a reference. I think that you can get, man, I was thrilled. I'm like, this is the answer. I mean, this is awesome. So, man, I went down there, and I grabbed their, you know, and I filled this out, put his name first as the reference, you know, and the other two didn't really matter, you know, and, and you know, you're just putting him in bold print, you know, and, and they're going to pay attention to this because he works there, you know, and they took it. The lady was very nice. I walked out of there just with a little skip in my step, and, you know, things are going good. I'm, I'm going to get a call probably within a week for an interview. I was thrilled. No call. A couple of weeks, no call. Three weeks, no call. Finally, I call my friend. Hey, it's Bruce. 
you know, you don't want to be too obvious, you know, but you're, you know, you, you know where, you, you know, you know where you're going. Um, so what's going on, man? You know, and he's talking about that job because I finally, I've had it about the job. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they filled those positions a couple of weeks ago. Just the emotions that you feel at that moment. And he just thought, no, it's no big deal. You, you didn't get the job. So, you know, what, what you up to tonight? You know, I'm, I'm like weeping right now. Thanks. You know, that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm in sackcloth and ashes for the rest of the evening. It was devastating. I mean, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, you just think it's a done deal. You got a peace from God. What was that about? Peace in my circumstances, maybe. Because <laughs> I, think, I think God's just trying his hardest. You know, the Holy Spirit's walking alongside you. You're not going to get this job. I'm just, I, you're not, and you're just not listening to that. You know, that, get behind me, Satan. You know, and, uh, and God, because God had a completely different track in mind for us. He was closing every door so that he could open up another door later on. But my, my, my peace was based and my hope was based on my circumstances instead of what God was saying. You're hoping to, for one direction and you don't get what you hoped for or thought. That can be devastating. That's why Jesus wants us to walk so close with him, to hear his voice, that even when things don't make sense, he's there. And our hope is built on him. I was talking to Sue and Heidi last week, and we were talking about, you know, Joseph and how God doesn't make sense. Joe, you know, you've heard me talk about this. Joseph gets the dreams. He's 17 years old. You're going to be great. You're going to be a leader. Man, life is good. I'm the favored son. My dad gives me fancy clothes to wear in front of my brothers. I tell on them when they're acting up. Man, this is great. His brothers turn on him, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. He's a slave, does the right thing, rejects the advances of, the, of, the, of Potiphar's wife who's trying to make sexual advances at him. He says, no, he's a man of integrity. He says, you know, God's going to reward me for my integrity. You can almost see it. This is the point. And then he gets accused of rape, thrown into a dungeon. That's how his integrity was repaid. What are you doing, God? Then he's forgot about. So he has the dreams, 13 years later, they come to pass, and he went through a whole lot of stuff in that 13 years, and believe me, he had some questions. But what was his hope on? He stayed with the Lord. He walked with the Lord. Even when the Lord tested his character, he stayed with the Lord. What is your hope built on? Is it built on the answer that you, sh that you think you should have? Is it built on the circumstance that you're, hoping out, uh, you're holding out for? love the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The course goes on to say, is on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, this is Hebrews 12, is shaking sand. Hold on to Jesus. He is the hope that is unshakable. Jesus the rock. I'm going to close now. Wasn't that a great segue? I'm just going to close now. The writer of Hebrews tells us, he said, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shocked when, when, when we see shakings happening, whether it's worldwide or personal, family. He says it's going to happen. And what he's trying to encourage us is that don't be caught off guard when it happens. Now, that, again, that's not to say that we have to jump up and celebrate when it happens. But he wants us to be firmly grounded in Jesus Christ. Why all the shaking? Why would God allow that? And it's because of what he says at the end. He said that he shakes everything so that which cannot be shaken will remain. That which cannot be shaken will never be shaken is Jesus Christ. He's the hope of the world. He really is. That's why he died and he went to the cross. He is the hope of the world. The created temporary earthly things that will shake around us, they shake because he doesn't want us to hold on to that. He wants us to hold on to him. And when we have our arms so filled with these temporary things that we put our hope in and we're trying to, if you ever carried a lot of things and you said, you know, I don't need the cart at the grocery store and you're trying to carry everything that you went in there to get. I did that you know, a couple of weeks ago. I don't need a cart. 
And then you go out there and your list gets bigger as you're walking through. And in the name of manliness, you're not going to go back to the front and get a cart. Amen. Thank you, Pat. That's just like we won't ask for directions because we'll find it eventually. As our wives are just steaming, we'll find it. I know we're 15 minutes late, but I will find. Ask for directions. I know the directions. I'm just driving around till we get there. And I was trying to carry all this stuff. I, I, one of my things that I forgot was a pack of water. Now, you would think that's the problem. And so I've got this, I've got cereal, I've got milk. I mean, I thought I was going to have to start hanging stuff on my legs. And, uh, but, you know, I was thinking about that while, while I was preparing this message. And this is a picture of us trying to hold on to all these earthly things. And Jesus is standing there going, what are you doing? It's what, it's what Doug, the word, he says, cast those things before me. They are not intended for you to hold on to. I am the one that came for you. You are here today. You are created in the image of God for a relationship with Jesus. You're not by accident. You are on planet earth for a purpose and a destiny. And it's to walk and know Jesus Christ. What is your life built on today? What is your hope built on today? If it's not on Jesus, give your heart and your life and surrender it all to him today and let go of that other stuff because it's going to shake. It's going to fall apart Because at the end of all the shaking, he will be the only one standing. And I want to be holding on to him when the shaking happens, personal or worldwide. I want to be holding on to Jesus. The unshakable hope, the unshakable relationship. Psalm 61 says this, when my heart is overwhelmed... That means shaking. That means everything around me is shaking apart when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Because he has the perspective. He knows why we're going through what we're going through. He loves us and he made us and he wants to walk with us through it. And his work on the cross was a completed, finished work for you and me. And he wants our lives to be on the firm foundation of him and his kingdom, because it'll never end, and it will never fall apart. You can count on that. Let's pray. Jesus, you want us to finish well. You want us to run well. Lord, you really do want us to keep our eyes fixed on you, because you are the, you are the one that will never, ever be shaken. You are the rock. You are the firm foundation. Lord, I pray for each person in this room right now. I pray, God, that wherever they're at in life, God, whether they are going through shakings or not, have been through them, maybe there's some things ahead, God, that every person in this room, that, Lord, we would hold on to you, the rock and the redeemer. When our heart is overwhelmed, lead us to the rock that is higher than us. Help our hope to be on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I just want to have an invitation to you today as everyone's praying and closing your eyes. Today, if something touched your heart and there's maybe, maybe there's something that you're, you're going through dealing with, maybe you don't know the Lord today. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you don't know God at all. Because he's here today and his invitation to you is come. Come to me. I want to give you freedom that you've never known. I want to give you contentment that you've never known. I want to give you a peace that you've never known that's not based on earthly circumstances, but it is based on him. And if you want to come to Christ in just in a new and fresh way, whether you have, whether you have accepted him or not, maybe, or you've walked away from him or not, and you just say in a new way, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. Some hands going up there. I want to pray for these. I want everyone else just to pray because there's some hands that went up, and I want to pray for these. Just agree with me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, you see more than hands, God. You see hearts responding to you. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that these wonderful people, Lord God, just with the courage of just a lifted hand, God, that they would know your love, 
Lord, even in the quietness of their own heart, as they just, and you just simply have to say, Jesus, I give you everything. Even those things that maybe you've put your hope in, just surrender those to Jesus. That, that Lord, that relationship, my Lord, I've, I've had misplaced hope. I've, I've had hope in my circumstances, Lord, and I just give you that. I give you my life today. I surrender. And just say that to him in your own heart. He hears you and he sees your heart and your response to him. Lord, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would touch them in a real way. You would draw them, that you would walk with them. And, Lord, I pray, God, today for each and every one of us that we would fix our eyes on you. Lord, we want to finish well. We want to finish strong. I'm going to pray to dismiss you, and I'm going to have those guys put on some worship music in the back. And if you'd just like to get alone with God, you can come up here and you can come to the altar. If you would like prayer, um, I know our leaders, we would love to pray for you to uh, just come alongside you. And if there's anything specific that we can pray for you about, we would love to do that. But if you need to go, I understand. If we just take the fellowship out into the, uh, the, the lobby, that would be awesome. We're just going to make this place a place just to meet with God. And if you want to sit in your pew and just kind of meditate and pray a little bit, you can do that too. Yeah, Doug. Yes. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I just think if your word that says, behold, today is the day of salvation, I encourage you, don't wait. If there's things that you need to do, get, get, just do business with God. If there's things that you need to get right with God, maybe others, I, I encourage you to just respond to the Lord. And come again. This is open. The sanctuary will be open for you to do that. If we can pray for you specifically, we would love to. But Lord, we want to respond to your word today. I pray, God, that no one will leave here until they say, I, 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 have, I have done what I needed to do before the Lord. So Lord, come, we pray. Touch our hearts. Lord, I pray a blessing on each person here. I pray a blessing over their week. I pray that, God, we would go out and we would love people in our community love people in this region. We'd spread the love of Jesus because you are the hope for mankind. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.